This is Demetrius Hunter, and you're listening to I Am Justice, where we discuss Christianity and our God-given mandate to do justice. Stand up for righteousness. Stand up for justice. Stand up for truth. And Lord, I will be with you. Hey y'all, this is Demetrius Hunter. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of I Am Justice. I really uh, enjoy doing this podcast and if you enjoy it, I would encourage you to please share uh, the podcast. Go to the website, check us out at iamjustice.captivate.fm. Share us on Facebook. You can like the page as well. I'm trying to initiate some much needed discussion about uh, justice and unity within Christianity. So with that being said today, I want to discuss something that's near and dear to my heart, uh, particularly um, the Christian's ability to do justice together. And I wanted to talk about this because y'all know we in the aftermath of yet another divisive federal election cycle. So what's in my purview is the probability of Christians from all backgrounds being able to pursue justice together. This is in light of all the drama and controversy that we see going on uh, with the election. And I think that this conversation is meaningful because who we vote for indicates what we value as a society and what our priorities are concerning justice. And here's just where I need to let you know that I'm going to say some things uh, in this podcast that may make um, several people angry or upset about the subject matter that I'm covering. But I believe when I'm talking about something as important as justice in the church and church unity or Christian unity, we can't address the problem unless we address it according to truth. So some of my opinions in this may rub you the wrong way, but I want to encourage you to try to stay with me to the end uh, because I do uh, feel a need to say uh, what I think is apparent concerning the controversial issues with division in a church, especially concerning politics. Now, I know that, you know, our electoral choices are complicated, but, y'all, there, there is a stark divide about what we vote for and who we believe is the best person to carry out that agenda. For example, this is just what the exit polls are saying, and you can look this stuff up yourself and see, but the exit polls indicate that white Christians and not just evangelicals, but white Christians, period, they are as likely to vote Republican as black Christians are likely to vote Democratic. Now, the surprising thing about this is that um, the Democrats, they tend to have higher numbers of people from diverse backgrounds or diverse ethnic groups. They tend to have a higher number of those types of people who vote for candidates uh, from their party. And I think it it does us some good to discuss why this is so, Uh, because in America, our form of government gives us the opportunity to exercise power. Therefore, I think it's beneficial for us to interrogate how the access to that power tends to divide the church along lines of race, class and and whatever may have you. So and and I say this because you can't talk about justice without talking about power. Now, there are several debates that continue in our society. 
And the latest one being how COVID-19 should be addressed is an area where we see stark differences on, just like the other debates. And while, while differences are oftentimes expected, what, what you know, I want to encourage us to do as the church is to understand how Satan uses these differences to hamper the mission of the church. Now, one question that I, I had to wrestle with uh, regarding elections, and this, this is probably something many people uh, wrestle with uh, every election cycle, but, you know, what is our Christian witness worth? That's a question you should think about, because is our Christian witness worth maintaining religious liberty? Is it, is it worth superficial progress with racism? Now, y'all know that, that King Herod and Pontius Pilate, they, they courted the Jews at the cost of their integrity, meaning the integrity of the Jews. And, and what we should know, even from Scripture, is that those who are in power, they will offer you the desire of your heart for as long as you serve their cause. And this, this what we see today in our elections, especially with these political parties, is, is awfully similar to Satan offering Jesus access to power in exchange to worship in him. And I just think that this whole process, Christians is being fooled. Now, you got Republicans, they offer religious freedom and abortion regulations, abortion elimination, uh, the whatever path they offer to try to take care of that, among other things, to maintain a majority of white Christian support. While Democrats, on the other hand, they offer relief, relief uh, from from racist oppression and power being used for the people, among other things. And they do this to maintain a majority of Christian support from all the other ethnic groups. In reality, y'all, what we tend to see from Republicans and Democrats who flaunt these issues is just a, a pretext to maintain power in the hands of a few. And, and I'm not saying that none of these issues are worth fighting for. But what I am saying is that we should be fighting them not on the terms of politicians, but on terms of the kingdom. And what this will do if we fight for these issues, if we fight for issues that's important to us and, and on the terms of the kingdom, it'll allow us to maintain our witness as we fight against injustice wherever it may be. Because, you, you, I mean, y'all, how much progress is we really making? Living in America oftentimes is like running on a treadmill. You, you got time passing by. But we still look like we're stationary regarding meaningful social change in the hearts of Christians in this country. And I say that because um, at the inception of this country, y'all, there were quote unquote Christians. And, 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 and I'll say quote unquote, and they'll remain suspect because the impression of enslaved Christians like Frederick Douglass, to, to them, their Christianity was not compatible with biblical Christianity. And these were their contemporaries. But you got people who named the name of Christ, who supported genocide, enslavement, and exploitation of people to make this country what it is. Now, the majority of people that supported these policies were white or of European descent. And when you bring this stuff up, you people often counter with the argument that, you know, uh, slavery wasn't done first in America, or Native Americans enslaved one another and fought wars as well. All these things are true. But is, is this the excuse that Christians should use to dismiss the inhumane treatment of others? And for that, I need to say, no, nah, y'all, we need to repent 
of that flaw kind of thinking. But y'all, when we talking about uh, our flawed thinking about America and American history, this is the point that I'm trying to make. The, the Romans killed Jesus and the Romans were brutal colonizers. But Jesus, he didn't adopt the tactics of this world to spread his kingdom. So I'm saying neither should we. And we shouldn't be excusing the bloodshed that led to the founding of this country. In studying history, you could see that there is a direct connection between the Great Awakening, which was a series of revivals in the 1700s, and how that language of freedom uh, because of the gospel lent itself to the colonies and the colonists thinking that they should be free from political and religious tyranny. Now, the enslaved Africans, they would also feel this way, but their realization was fought against by those who had just decades before felt the same way about those who oppressed them. The sad truth is that it's easier to recognize when we are being oppressed than it is for us to realize we are oppressing someone else. And that goes for everybody. It don't matter what race, color, or gender you are. It don't, it don't matter. We, we have oftentimes what our relationship in history records is that we have a failure to love one another. But in speaking of the country, y'all, the funny thing about this is that since the inception of the country, there were also Christians who fought against genocide, enslavement, and exploitation of people because they knew how it would make the country what it is. Now, Christians should stand against earthly empires and not help them build them because in the end, it's Satan that rules and reigns in earthly empires. Now, what's amazing is that the Great Awakening did not awaken many Christians or quote unquote Christians to the stench of genocide and enslavement. That begs the question, what, what was the Great Awakening an awareness to the potential power of a sovereign nation or was it an awareness to the power of a sovereign God? Many people would say the former. Suffice it to say, though, this gives us some insight into the gospel. I believe that the gospel is the most liberating truth that will ever be preached or spoken by mankind. First and foremost, spiritually, but also in our temporal lives, because the gospel takes over all aspects of our existence. We, we live out that truth. Now, the gospel has the power to change the world. And indeed, we have seen it. And it should become, for the Christian, it should become a default position to those who believe the gospel to take up arms in the fight against injustice. Because injustice and the kingdom of God are not compatible. This is what we saw. We, we saw this with the colonies. We saw this with those Europeans who came over, who felt that the crown was subjecting them to tyranny and the Church of England was subjecting them to tyranny. We saw this when enslaved Africans started believing the gospel, despite what the history books or or what some of the conscious brothers and sisters may tell you. When they read the Bible, they realized that they should be free. That's the power of the gospel. Injustice in the kingdom are not compatible. And when you believe it, you recognize this. Now, what, what I'm about to say is a cause for much debate, but needless to say, people who identify as Christians have been found on both sides of injustice and justice for one reason or, the, or another. And I'm not here to make determinations about the salvation of people because everybody's going to have to face a judgment and God alone has the power to make that determination. But what, what I will say is that 
why is it that Christians are often found on both sides of the power equation and approve of and approve of oppressive injustices while there are other Christians who fight against oppressive injustices? And this leads this is what leads to my topic. Will Christians ever pursue the cause of justice together in our times? That's a a big question. And I, I can't predict the future, y'all, but I can analyze the past and the present. And, and based on that, when you look at our history, you would be hard pressed to believe that there will ever be a wholesale pursuit of justice together by the church in America. And by that, I mean Christians of all ethnicities. The, the polls are telling us what side of power Christians are voting on and both sides believe that there are oppressive tactics coming from the other and refuse to give up on the access to control who makes those decisions. Now, when it's in the when it when it's in our hands to do so, Christians should not concede power to the unrighteous and the wicked. At least that's the common thought. But what did Jesus do for the sake of his kingdom? What did Jesus do so that his people would be united? He conceded the power that he had in order to make a new people. He conceded the power that he had in order to make his church. Brothers and sisters, y'all, when we going to come out of the delusion of grandeur that power in America is worth pursuing over our brothers and sisters in Christ? And, and what will it take for the unity that God commanded for his church to be realized? Now, this is a Herculean effort. That can only be accomplished by the spirit of God, because honestly, whether it's a Republican or a Democratic administration, y'all, we're going to undoubtedly see some wickedness and unrighteousness manifested in one way or the other. That's just that's just facts. And if you deny that, I don't really know what to tell you other than that. That's that may be some delusion on your part. But my question is this. When are we going to stop fighting to be led by Herod or Pontius Pilate? And commit ourselves to God's kingdom, which is not dependent upon human empire. In John 17, starting at verse 20, Jesus says this. And y'all know I got to bring some scripture in the mix because this is y'all. What I, what, I, what I, I want what I'm saying to be based on biblical truth. I ain't just trying to be talking out the side of my neck. I, I need to be able to communicate this to y'all. And, and let, I, I want y'all to understand my processing and how I'm coming to these conclusions. And hopefully y'all will see that that's based on scripture. But Jesus said this in John 17, uh, uh, starting in verse 20, he says, I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. I've given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me so that they may be made completely one, that the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am so they will see my glory, which you have given me because you love me before the world's foundation. Righteous Father, the world has not known you. However, I've known you and they have known that you sent me. I made your name known to them and will continue to make it known so that the love you have loved me with may be in them and I may be in them. In this chapter, y'all, Jesus speaks about being one a number of times. He says in verse 21 that they may be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. In those verses, he said that the glory that he had given, that God had given him, he had also gave to them. And, and what did he say that glory was for? 
the glory was was for so they would be one as Jesus was one with the Father. Y'all, he shared the glory the Father gave him with the church so that we could be in unity with him, so that we could be in unity with one another. And this unity is expressly to make the name of Jesus known. If you are a Christian or have even read the Bible just a little bit, you ain't even got to read it a lot. If you read it just a little bit, you know that the relationship between Jesus and God is unshakable. So, so I'm left to ask, if, if Christ is not divided from the Father or his church, how come we are divided from one another? And I'm going to answer that question. Y'all, that's a rhetorical question I'm going to give you the answer to. But I, I want to put a little more emphasis on the person of Christ. Because, y'all, we have to understand that the kingdom of Jesus is not divided. Jesus is the one that divides kingdoms. In Luke 11, Jesus said that he was the one that binds the strong man, takes his house and all the possessions in it, and he divides those possessions. Jesus said, if you're not with me, you're against me. If you ain't ride with me, you will be scattered. And that's kind of like the, the Demetrius version. But Jesus is the one who divides the children of light from darkness by overpowering the evil one. And there is only one side. This is the second point about Christ. There is only one side in his his. Joshua five. Y'all, this is one of my, my favorite passages of, of scriptures. But Joshua 5, 13, it says this. When Jesus was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua approached him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. I've come as the commander of the Lord's army. Then Joshua bowed his face to the ground in homage and asked him, what does my Lord want, want to say to his servant? The commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, remove the sandals of your feet for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did that. There is no side but God's. And Abraham Lincoln, for all his fault, knew as much. That was his response uh, when the minister uh, proposed the thought that he hoped that God was on the side of the north. And Lincoln wisely said that it wasn't necessarily a matter of God being on the side of the north, but us being on God's side. And I say that just so we know, y'all, that it's not the kingdom of God which lies the problem. It lies with us. And specifically, it lies with our understanding of what the cost of biblical unity is. Right now, division is rampant in the church over all manner of stuff like class, gender, politics. But namely, what we're dealing with currently is our divisions of our political affiliations, which bleeds into our what often appears to be insurmountable divisions on the issue of race and ethnicity in America. Now, Jesus said a kingdom divided against itself can't stand right. And we also have a spiritual adversary that's watching the tapes and he's formulating a game plan that hampers our ability to express the unity that Christ has given to us. Now, in America, quite often, the enemy uses many strongholds to fuel anger and division in the church. And the most classic ones have to do with matters of race and ethnicity. For example, when white brothers and sisters are only comfortable with command and control relationships they disregard the suffering of brothers and sisters in Christ because one group's suffering is padding for their comfort, which this is an American Christian problem because our comfort is oftentimes derived from the suffering of other people in other countries. Well, that's another podcast for a different day. But back to our, our white brothers and sisters in America, when, when they refuse to change sinful cultural attitudes about race, y'all, that's a stronghold. 
And the lens of power and comfort cannot replace the lens of scripture. And on the same token, when black brothers and sisters and people of all groups impacted by the scourge of white supremacy, given the hate and retaliation based on past, present and anticipated treatment from those in power, that is a stronghold as well. The lens of racism and oppression cannot replace the lens of scripture. Now, let me drill down on this a little bit because I want you to be clear and hear exactly what I'm saying. Y'all, we, we have to be able to acknowledge the sin of racism and oppression without the trauma from our experience being the lens by which we view the world. We can't allow our trauma to shape us. The Bible has to do that. And there is a difference in the social impact of blindness to power and the social impact of blindness because of oppression. And I want to acknowledge the problems with both, but you can't minimize the social impact that oppression has on those who are being oppressed. And that's not what I'm trying to do. But y'all, we would be lying to ourselves to say that these issues in America don't affect how we interact with each other. We just had an election and I talked about some of this stuff back in 2016. But in this election, anger and rage and the idea of rights being the being taken away has changed the political landscape after another very destructive and divisive campaign by Donald Trump. And this campaign was also sprinkled with the social fallout from police brutality and the the massive differences in the deaths and everything that occurred uh, with COVID-19. Now the Republican platform on which Donald Trump has taken over again, had the support of a majority of not only evangelicals, but white Christians as a whole. Now, that support did include a small percentage of brothers and sisters from other groups as well. And I do acknowledge that the reason many people vote the way that they vote is complicated. But we can't ignore these these facts. And consequently, we see in the same election that uh, it's done stoked the anger and rage of black people and other people for fear that oppression and racism that's been fought against since the inception of this nation has at least in our generation received a contemporary rubber stamp by the presidency. Now, you could be mad about what I said, but this is not a new development in this country. If you want to be angry, send all hate mail to IamJustice.Church at gmail.com. But, but if you don't watch the news or looked at your news feed on social media, this is the reality in which we find ourselves in today. And it's because of these things, brothers and sisters in the Lord, we, we, we ready to throw up our hands and abdicate the fight for unity because of hurt, disappointment and frustration with each other. And you got Satan sitting up there eating popcorn like that Michael Jackson meme talking about he just here for the comments. And y'all know it'd be hard to talk about this stuff because oftentimes when you're trying to deal with this stuff, you, you might hear some things that make you mad with your brother or sister. And just to be honest with y'all, I'm going to admit my bias because I'm black, African-American or African descendant of slaves, whatever you want to call it. It's naturally easier for me to identify with the issues facing people that look like me. And if you any other nationality or ethnicity, the same phenomenon occurs with you. We all readily identify with people who we share a common experience with. And I'm not going to apologize for that. Because what assimilation has done is taught us that it's taboo for black people to advocate or express compassion for our issues specifically. 
But even the Apostle Paul had a burden for his Israelite brothers. In Romans 9, he, he, he talked about yearning for his brothers to be saved so much that he wished that he could be accursed and cut off. But Paul understood a key thing. He understood where our identity truly lied as Christians. And I'm about to break this down from 1 Peter for y'all. 1 Peter says that Jesus was the chosen and precious cornerstone, and we ourselves are living stone from which the living house is built. The word goes on to say that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his possession. He called us out of darkness into light. We are now God's people. In John 17, Jesus praying that prayer because he knew what was about to happen. He knew that out of many different groups of people, some rich, some poor, some bond, some free, some women, some men, some Jews, some Gentiles. He knew that out of all these different people, he was going to make a whole new category. He was going to give birth to the church. And we all know that differences breed division. Y'all, we know that too well. And division impedes the mission that Christ has called us to. But division in the church isn't a new problem. Ephesians addresses it. Galatians addresses it. And with much biblical encouragement, what we often miss in our breakneck speed to get to unity at times is the lengths that Christ went through for his church to be united. Now, Jesus went to the cross. That, that's why he's called the cornerstone in Ephesians and first Peter. This, this is the importance of the cornerstone for my, my building trades brother out there they'll, they'll tell you the, the cornerstone is the term is derived from the first stone that's set in the construction of a masonry foundation this stone is important because all the other stones will be set in reference to that stone so what that cornerstone is going to do is determine the position of the entire structure this is this is what why, why christ is called the cornerstone because he is the reference point of the church and we, when we talk about unity, we have to look at how he went about it to achieve the unity that he purchased for his church. He gave up his position of privilege, according to Philippians. Now, I didn't get that from reading uh, uh, White Fragility or, or any kind of book talking about white privilege or any other kind of privilege. Y'all, that's scripture. Philippians 2 Five the way says this, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in a form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited or to be grasped or to be held on to. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to the death of the cross. Y'all, in, in Jesus dwelled the fullness of the Godhead. And when we're talking about Christ laying down everything about himself for our benefit, y'all, he had all power. If he wanted to, he did not have to give himself up. And you see an account of this in, in John 18, when they came to arrest Jesus and Jesus asked them, who's y'all looking for? They say, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I am he. Y'all, when he gave that answer, they fell down. This, this is like some comic book stuff. He said who he was and they fell down. And like some crazy folk, <laughs> they got up and still, <laughs> they still wanted to arrest him. He willingly gave himself up. Now, if somebody says something to me and I just fell down, y'all, it's time for me to run. I ain't going to even front. But they got up and arrested him, y'all. He had all power. He didn't have to give himself up. So this is, this is why I asked us, 
Y'all, they didn't have any power over him to take him. Those human authorities. They had earthly authority, but they had no power over him to take him. And why did he allow it? He did it for the sake of the gospel. So this is why I ask, what, what lengths are we willing to go to for unity? Christ went to the cross. He died to his self-interest and thought about the interests of those who were lost. He thought about the interests of those who would bring into who he would bring into his household and be the unified bride in his body. And I want to propose that, unfortunately, in the church, y'all, that we, we don't often think of unity uh, 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 like that. We, we want a unity that don't cost us anything. We want a unity where we don't have to sacrifice much of what we think and feel about our brothers and sisters. I mean, after all, y'all, we, we are willing to, to sit in the same building with one another and worship with each other. But honestly speaking, what we see, y'all, we, we, we see a Christianity, American Christianity, that, that we don't want a unity that don't interfere with our comforts no more than we allow it to. And y'all know this is true. Look at the debate today. A lot of people have been living a type of unity that's comfortable, but it has not cost their lives. And this is plain to see because, listen to our politics, this is where we're getting back to power, y'all. This is plain to see because when we have an opportunity for our positions to be empowered, we don't think about each other. We only think about our positions. Whether that hurts our brothers and sisters or not, often appears to be irrelevant. But not only in politics, we see this in friendships, we see this in marriages, we see this in culture. Y'all, we see this in the church. And Christ yielded what was precious to him, the glory he had with the Father and his life for our benefit. My question today is, are we willing to yield our cultural perceptions of each other for the sake of the unity that Christ was praying for? Brothers and sisters, are we willing to yield our perceived positions of power and influence in order that we may be truly one with each other? Or another way to look at this is, are we willing to yield the anger and rage from oppression and experiencing racism so that our oneness may be made perfect? Y'all, I mean, come on. Are we willing to yield our lives to be his church, supremely unified and on mission to glorify the father and make his name known? This is a hard bargain, I know, but we got to ask the hard questions. And if you're a Christian and listening to this, this is important because our oneness confirms that Jesus was sent by God. Jesus says this explicitly in John 17. He told the disciples that the oneness of the church will show the world that he was sent by God. Y'all, our oneness, our ability to love each other and live sacrificially with each other while deviating from a world that exploits differences for its own gain. Because this is what we see in the pursuit of earthly power. Differences are exploited for gain. That's not the church. We shouldn't operate like that. We, we free to do a whole lot of things, but our love for one another, that's to change some things. Paul said in Galatians that uh, uh, we call it the freedom, but we shouldn't use our freedom as an opportunity for, for the flesh or, or an opportunity for our own self-interest. But through love, we should serve one another. He said the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. We got the church up in here launching on each other, straight launching. We got Christian cannibalism going on and Satan in the world. They, they love to see us biting and devouring one another. And we actually we get a world something to see. We give them the show. They don't even got to go with us on. We give them the show all on our own. 
whether it's a debate about wearing masks or not, or defending Donald Trump's abuse of power and callous disregard for anybody but himself, or defending uh, Biden's positions on abortion, his record on, on criminal justice, or any more of the deliberate leaning policies that he may take up, we we fighting each other over this. And oftentimes, it, there there does not appear to be a path towards Christian unity when these issues come up. And I'm not looking for, I'm, look, look, this whole thing is about us, a unity that cost us something. So I ain't talking about assimilation. That's not what I'm talking about. I ain't talking about you being like me and me being like you. That ain't what I'm talking about. I'm talking about us working through our differences and love and coming to an agreement based on scripture about what our game plan should be without being manipulated by these politicians, without being manipulated by worldly power. That's what I'm talking about. Y'all, our ability to sacrifice for each other and our ability to love each other shows that there is a love out there that is not achievable except by God. And that love, first and foremost, is a sacrificial one that honors the holiness of God and glorifies him. Imagine overcoming the cultural DNA of this nation and fully enjoying the citizenship of the holy nation, being representatives of the kingdom of our God. Imagine that. Y'all, Jesus prayed for the unity of his people because he sends us into a world that will hate us because of his name's sake. The crazy thing about it is in America, you more likely to be hated for being a Republican or a Democrat than you are for being a devoted follower of Christ. And that's just generally speaking. But in our quest for power, y'all, I think that we can lose sight of the fact that the world is in need of a savior. The world needs the gospel. And unity is so important in the body of Christ because Jesus sends us out into hostile territory for the sake of the mission. Y'all, unity is paramount. If you can recall when you were little, at least back in my days, our, our parents, when they would send us out with our brothers and sisters or with a group of friends, they'd often tell us, y'all be careful out there and make sure y'all stick together. You, you know it's natural that when you venturing out into uncertainty that we get encouragement to stick together. It's hard to achieve victory without unity. Ask any sports team this. Christ talks about this as well, and this is why he was dependent upon the Father for everything. And he prayed for his church to be one with him and the Father. Now, we may not be in perfect unity and love now, but Christ will see to it that we will be presented without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. Because of Christ, his church will be holy, acceptable, and pleasing to the Father. There is hope. Because the father loves him and that love is in his church, y'all. And he is in his church. John 10, 14 through 16 says this. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own, my own know me just as the father knows me. And I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be, listen, one flock, one shepherd. Y'all, amidst all that we see, brothers and sisters, I want to encourage y'all, never give up on the fact that there is one flock and one shepherd. And as long as the gospel is true, we have the capacity to cast aside our preoccupation with power and pursue justice together. Y'all, I hope that that can be an encouragement to y'all. And I do appreciate uh, those of you that do listen to the podcast again uh, uh, like me on facebook uh you can find me at i am justice you can go check out um the the podcast website i am 
Uh, hit me up if you got any questions at iamjustice.church at gmail.com. I would love to chop it up with you again. This is what I'm doing here is trying to lay the groundwork uh, for future endeavors to achieve unity in the church and, and uh, be a part of what God is doing to help the church deal with justice, but from a biblical perspective. And so thank you all for tuning in. I look forward to getting back with y'all. I like doing these podcasts. And if you like them, I would encourage you to please share the podcast so we can get the word out there. Um, I know some of the stuff I say, many people may uh, might not like. And my goal ain't to just say stuff that's inflammatory for the sake of being for inflammatory sake. Uh, that ain't what I'm trying to do. Um, but you do have to talk about hard truth if we ever going to achieve any type of uh, reconciliation or if we ever going to walk in true unity. You can't ignore or sweep stuff under the rug and expect to deal with that. So I would like for y'all to join me uh, in this 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 process and uh, keep me lifted up in prayer. Keep me lifted up in prayer because this is uh, uh, something that the church is dealing with heavily. And I want to be a part of the solution that God is offering to help his church uh, love one another better. So thank you for listening. Peace.